Well, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to 1 John chapter 4, so we're going to look at verses 7 to 11, and the title of the message is God is Love. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7, and we read there, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And Father, I just ask once again, you'll open your word up to our hearts and our minds emblazon it on our hearts that we can go forth and walk the way you want us to walk and live the way you want us to live and that is in love and we thank you today that you'll do that for us in jesus name so before we look at our text here which we will just briefly if you go up in your bible in chapter 3 verse 23 uh, after john had said that we'll receive all that we pray for when we keep his commandments to do those things that are pleasing in his sight in verse 23 john writes and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And so what he's doing there in that statement is he's given us a summary of what the Christian life is all about. So briefly what he's saying is we need to believe and be committed to the correct doctrinal teaching of the life and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a big topic and we're not in any way going to try to tackle that today. And the second thing he says is that we should love one another. So really what he's saying there, that's another way of saying what Jesus said when they came and asked him, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? And his answer was, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so that's the equivalent of saying, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 22, he went on to say that loving the Lord thy God is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's really what he's saying here in 1 John 3, 23. So what he does is he begins to flesh that out in chapter 4, what that means. And so in those first six verses there, he's talking about a proper belief, what it means to believe in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives a warning. He says many false prophets... And John says spirits, but spirits work through what? People, ministers, teachers. That's how it works. So he says many false spirits are out working, speaking through men, trying to deceive both saint and sinner alike about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what they're doing is they're denying the incarnation. That's what he says if anyone denies that Jesus came in the flesh. So listen, anybody can stand up and talk about Jesus. And people do it all the time. And you've got to fill in that definition and listen to how they're filling it in. So if anybody stands up and denies either the full deity or the full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us he is a false prophet and under the influence of the spirit of the Antichrist. Look in verse 3. That's what it says. It says, every spirit that confesses, and it's coming through a man, confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in this world. If you get people to believe in a false Jesus, guess what happens? They will not be saved. And so what's our defense against that? There's a twofold defense God gives us. And one is we know the word. You have to know what the word says, but also 
Now, we've never taken verse 4 this way, but in context, this is what he's saying. Look in verse 4. He says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's talking about that spirit of Antichrist speaking through those false prophets. And I'm saying the spirit of God in you should tell you there is something not right when something's said that is a heresy or an error, especially about the Lord Jesus Christ. But you also have to know the word. So if you would, just turn over to 2 John 7. And look what it says there. He says in 2 John 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He says this is a deceiver and an antichrist. He says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ has not God. So if you don't have the correct teaching on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying it's a serious matter. You have not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, well, he has both the Father and the Son. And so if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. I'm saying that spirit, that error in many forms is still around today. It's alive and well. So my purpose isn't to teach on all that. I'm just trying to give the context of what we're saying. So he's dealing with there, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. We've got to be loving the right Lord and God to be right. Because if we're loving the wrong one, he's saying you're not going to make it. So that is critical. And that's the doctrine of God. That's why I had Dr. Ware come in here and teach our church on the Trinity. Might have said a couple other things that we're all raising our what he's teaching on the Trinity, that was very solid teaching. Very critical teaching. I would encourage anybody to go back and listen to it. So today we're going to look at the second part of this, of second part of what John set up there in 3.23, and that is the command to love. And so the way John works is he keeps covering three things that he says will give you an assurance of your salvation in this first John letter. He says, if you want to be assured of your salvation, you want to know that you're born of God and going to make it. One thing he says is you will have full obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second thing he says is you will have your doctrine correct about God. You'll have correct doctrine. And the third thing he says is, do you want to know you're born again, that you're going to make it in? Do you want to have an assurance of your salvation? The third thing that he keeps repeating throughout this letter, he keeps going back in a circular form on all three of those topics. The third thing he says is you have to have love. So the first place he talks about it, if you'll just go back, is he just gives two verses here in 1 John 2. If you'll look back there, please, in 1 John 2, verses 10 and 11. And he brings it in there. He had said it was a new commandment in verse 8, but in verse 10, here's what it is. He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. He that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not whither he goes because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, then the second time he brings up about love is in chapter 3. So if you would turn there, chapter 3 and beginning in verse 11. So every time you'll notice, every time he adds more to what he's previously said. In 1 John 3, 11, he says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. And the message is that we should love one another. He's saying the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Actually, the beginning of the Bible, they would both be true because he goes back to the beginning here in verse 12. He says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And why did he slay him? Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil, he says, and his brother's righteous. 
Marvel not, my brother, and John writes, if the world hates you. And we know that we have passed from death unto life because, here's how you can know it, because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Verse 15, whoso hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, he says, How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, verse 18, don't just love in word, not just in tongue, but how are we to love? He's saying we should love in deed and in truth. So he's saying you need to love one another, but he says don't love in the way Cain loved. <laughs> Cain didn't have a good way of loving because his way of loving was with a club. He's saying, no, don't do that <laughs> because he says that's hate. You can't hate. He says whether you club him in the head or you hate him in your heart, he says either way you're a murderer. And he says pretty clearly, it's pretty black and white in First John. We'll talk about that one day, how to deal with the black and whites, because our lives are not black and white. We wish they were, don't we? We wish we could say we never sinned, but we have sinned and we do sin, don't we? And we, that's why we have to go to the blood. But anyways, he says no murderer is going to have eternal life for us. But he says, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ, here's this love. He's laid down his life for us. And he says we should be willing to give our goods, buy us, the things that make life work. We should be willing. He was willing to give his everything for us, his life, everything he owned. He hung on that cross naked in shame. He said he gave up everything, the glories of heaven, everything he had on earth for us. He said, so that should tell us we should be willing to give up what little bit of goods he's blessed us with to bless somebody else. That's the point he's making there in 1 John 3, 11 to 18. So he goes on this statement in verse 7. So let's move over to and begin to talk about what he says here in 1 John 4, 7 to 11. So he makes this statement right here, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knoweth God. And that statement, let us love one another, was on the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ many times. So if you would turn over to John 13, and I want to look at a few places here between John 13 and John 17, and verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34, Jesus says there, a new commandment I give unto you, and the commandment is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's what's new about it, that you also love one another. And by this, he says, all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you have love one to another. If you turn over a couple chapters to chapter 15, chapter 15. And look in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And if you look down in verse 17, he says, these things I command you, that you love one another. And then, last, if you would look in chapter 17 and verse 23. 17, 23, he says, we're cutting into his high priestly prayer here. But he says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. And that's what the Lord wants us to know. He wants us to know that he loves us exactly. The Father loves us exactly the same way he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, let me ask you, what is the one thing, if you're paying attention, what's the one thing those verses we read out of chapter 13 and 15, what do they have in common besides love? <laughs> Obviously that. But every time it's a command. Why would Jesus make it a command? I mean, can you command love? I mean, not if we're going to look at love that it's just an emotion or something that's moving me. You can't command your emotions in that way. Well, let me ask you this, though. What if the Lord Jesus had made love an option? So who do you think would win when somebody's provoking you and you don't think you're the one at fault and you had the option of love or a knuckle sandwich? Who do you think's going to win that one, huh? So, you know, what if he said, love if you feel like it, but don't be a hypocrite. You know, if you're angry, you just need to go on and vent. Don't hold back. But what he says is, you got to love if you, whether you feel like it or not. And it's a command. Why? Because it is a supernatural effort. So it is not in us naturally to love our enemies, is it? It's not. And so it's a command. And we have to obey that command by trusting in the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we, when we're being provoked. So if you would turn over to Philippians, and that's what Paul thought. <laughs> Paul says it's a work of the Holy Spirit. So look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And Paul writes there, he's, he's pleading with the Philippians. He says, if there is any consolation or encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, any compassion in you, he says, fulfill you my joy. He's not asking if. He says, I know there is in you all. I know you have that fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I know you're Christians and you have bowels of compassion. So he's saying in verse 2, then fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having what? The same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And he says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. So love, the way Paul's saying it is, that is the end of selfishness, isn't it? Because he's saying, all of what he's saying there is the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ was, he put himself last. And put others ahead of us. And isn't that what Paul's saying there? So the root of all sin is selfishness, and that is the opposite of love. Amen? Amen. That's the way it works. <laughs> so I found this illustration. You're going to have to excuse part of it. But there was this little boy named Chad. He was a shy little fellow. And so one day he came home. He told his mom, Valentine's Day is coming up, and I want to make a Valentine's Day for everybody in my class. And when she heard him say that, she's like, her heart sank. She thought, man, I wish he hadn't have done that because she would watch him and all the other little kids come home from school and noticed he was always the one walking last. They would be laughing and hugging each other, talking to each other. Chad was never included in any of that. So nevertheless, she's like, all right, Chad, I'll go along with what you want to do. And she went out and she got the paper and the glue and the crayons. Three whole weeks, that little man worked on making these Valentine cards. At the end of the day, he had 35 of them all made. And so Valentine's Day came along, and he is so excited. He gets all those Valentines, stacks them up, puts them in a bag, goes out the door. His mom's thinking, this is going to be a rough day for my little boy, Chad. She's like, I'll do him a favor. She made him cookies. I'll have cookies waiting for him when he gets home and a cool glass of milk. Who doesn't like that? 
because she's thinking, I know he's going to be disappointed. Maybe this will help him out a little bit or whatever. So she's thinking, he's not going to get very many Valentines. He might not get any at all, the way things work at school. So that afternoon, she puts out the cookies and milk on the table. She hears the children coming, and sure enough, there they are again, and there's Chad. They're all laughing and playing, and always he's in the rear. Nobody's paying a lick of attention to him. So when the door opens, she's trying to hold back the tears, and she's like, look, Mommy's got cookies and milk for you, Chad, and he's just got this big smile on his face, and he walks right past her like he didn't hear a word she said, and he's saying, not a one, not a one, and her heart sank. And he says, not a one. I didn't forget a single one. And so I'd say he got the message, didn't he? He's not worried about himself. He's just worried. He's just proud. He had not forgotten a single one of his friends. And that's what it's saying there. Let's look at this again. Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And I'd say that little boy got the message, wouldn't you? I'd say he did. Because it's our pride a lot of times that kills us in love, doesn't it? And Martin Luther said, you get down on the dirt, you can't get any lower. That's where you need to be. And like the verse says, then God will raise you up. So if you would look back one book in Ephesians and look in Ephesians chapter 4, once again, Paul writes this. He says in verse 30, Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So how would you grieve him by doing these things in verse 31? He says, you got to let go of this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And instead, this is what the Holy Spirit will produce in us if we yield. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And he goes on to write chapter 5. There shouldn't have been a break there. He says, be ye therefore, because of what I just said, be followers of God as dear children, and do what in verse 2? Walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He's saying no bitterness. That lingering, ill feeling that you let linger and meditate on when somebody's done you wrong. And when you do that, it's a progression. Then bitterness leads to anger and you finally blow up. That can happen in friendships, marriages, or whatever. And then wrath comes. Then there's evil speaking that follows after that. The backbiting, gossip, slander. All of those things are just ways of getting back at somebody. That's just subtle manifestations of hatred is what it's talking about there. But he's saying love won't do those things, is what Paul is saying, because love will positively do what? That's what we have in verse 32. What's the first thing he says? Love will be kind, willing to love, willing to show love. And when you think of somebody that you consider a kind person, isn't that the way they are? They're gracious, willing to show love, willing to help people out. That's the way it works. And he says be tender-hearted, have tender feelings towards someone. And it's the opposite of criticism. So I've said this several times. I'll say it again. It's the truth. I heard a man say this, a preacher say this years back. Criticism makes you cool to people. And it's not hard to tell when somebody's been critical of you because of the way the reaction you get from them. It's just the way it is. And so we need to be, he's saying, tenderhearted. Tenderhearted feelings come through and they'll come through even if you're rebuking somebody. 
because there's a difference between harshness and firm but loving way to speak. And he also says there that we're to be forgiving, pardoning a wrongdoing. We need to be willing to overlook a wrong that's been done to us. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred will stir up stripes, but love covers all sins. Proverbs 17, 9 says this, he that covers a transgression seeks love. But he that repeats a matter separates very friends. It's an important thing we're talking about here. So most of you have heard of the prison fellowship that was started by the ex-Watergate felon and Nixon aide Chuck Colson. And you know, after all that time he spent behind bars, he realized how awful it was once he got out to get accepted back into society. And he wrote in one of his books, he says, nothing is more Christian than forgiveness demonstrating trust in one who has fallen. And you think about that. Isn't that what all of us want, to be forgiven and trusted again by God and by others? And so when we want that from God, we need to be willing to show that to others, don't we? If you know somebody's fallen, you can't hold their past over their head and the way you treat them and all that. If there's genuine repentance there, you don't need to treat them like they're a convicted felon still. God doesn't treat us that way. And we wouldn't want to be treated that way, amen? That's the way it should be. So if you go back to 1 John 4, verse 7. So there's a supernatural love that is all through the Bible, that, especially the New Testament, that John here is calling us to show. And so what he's saying here is that love has to have a supernatural source. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. He is the source. Love is of God or from God. And so any true love that is in this world only has one source, and it's not Cupid. Talked about Valentine's Day, but it's not Cupid. That source of love is what? It's God, because it's not natural for us. But it is for God. It's his nature. And that's what it says. Look at the end of verse 8. He that loveth knoweth not God. Why does it say? For God is love. So John in his writings, makes three statements about the nature of God. He says in John 4 that God is spirit. Not a spirit, God is spirit. In 1 John 1, 5, he says God is light. Pure light, he says, no darkness in him at all. Perfect holiness and purity is the Lord our God. And here we read God is love. So everything he does, every action he takes, everything he does is in love. And you might be asking yourself, well, what about hell? Where's the love in that? But what that is, we need to understand that is still love in practice because that is love for his holiness. Because the Bible, John didn't write this, but the Bible has a fourth statement about God is describing his nature. And what is that? God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. Habakkuk 1 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. And Psalm 11.7 says, For the righteous Lord loves righteousness. His countenance does behold the upright. But what we need to understand is you can't separate out what is essential to the nature of God. You've got to hold it all together. So God is love, but God is also light, and God is also fire. Here's kind of creates a dilemma that is the dilemma of the ages, and that is that God loves his holiness and can't look at evil, but he also loves sinners that are wicked. So what can he do? And well, the answer is right here 
Here's God's love and the answer in verse 9. Look what it says. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And so his love is demonstrated in the supreme act of that sacrifice and giving. That is the supreme way that we know what love is. So it's been said, if you want to sell somebody, put a person in it. And we know that by Air Jordans. They want to sell tennis shoes. And so who do they stick in them? They stick in Michael Jordan and they sell. And so that's what God has done. He's not selling anything, but he's demonstrated his love, not by saying it, not by thinking about it, but he came in God in human flesh, came to this earth. And we see that love in action, demonstrated, praying in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. His praying, his healing, delivering people, teaching and dying. It's concrete ways. Like I said, it's not just a sentiment. So how do we see his love? We've been going through the gospel of Mark. His love is demonstrated in his compassion of touching lepers. Holding little children. Several times he's done that. Holding little children in his arms. Here's a widow. He sees she's just lost her only son. He's moved with compassion and love. And we see his love again. He raises up her only son from the dead. And most of all, how does he show it? In his suffering on the cross. More than anything else he did. That's how he showed it. That's what we're reading here. And that is how the nature of God became visible to all mankind. The cross is on display. God sent his only son, the son of his love, so that we could have life. And that's something we should never get over. So listen, all the love that is ever seen in this world from men made in the image of God has its source in the God that is love, the God that made the greatest sacrifice of any being. So people look at Mother Teresa and they marvel at her love and sacrifice. Any of that, she has nothing to boast about. If any love of that is true love, it's because of God. It's from God. And any missionary that's willing to go over to Africa to see lost souls saved, it's nothing to boast about. If he has that love, it says love is from God. So anything we do, any act we say, it's saying there it's supernaturally coming from God. Any loving deed. That's the first thing. And the second thing, we're able to love one another because it's part of our new nature. So look what it says there in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of or from God. And he says, everyone that loves is born of God. So am I saying that every person that is a loving person must be born again? Well, let me say this. Most people that seem to be loving people that are not Christians would fail the test of 1 Corinthians 13, which we'll look at here in a little bit. So the only people that can exhibit that kind of love are Christians with a new heart given by God. And even then we'll fail at times, won't we? But that is the only way. He that loveth is born of God. So to love, as the Bible teaches, requires a supernatural new birth that only the Holy Spirit can give because it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? First one is love. So only the Holy Spirit can give that kind of love. That's not in a natural man. So we will see people made in the image of God do things that are loving things, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Only the Spirit can give life and love. And that's a sign, he's saying here, that you are born of God if you're one that loves, one that's willing to sacrifice for others because it's a part of your new nature to feel compassion for people that are in need, to be willing to forgive your enemies, to be kind. So look, that's what we have, like we said in 1 John 3, 14. 
That's what it's talking about there. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brother. That's how you can know. And he that loves not his brother is still abiding in death. Whoso hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, he says. So if you're a selfish person, and only you would know that, constantly taken, arguing, criticizing, backbiting, then John's saying you have reason to question your new birth. And the reason he's saying is everyone that loveth is born of God because a child, nobody has a child I've seen that doesn't look somewhat like one or both of the parents, maybe one more than another, but they're mixed in there, right? You're going to have the nature of your parents in you when you're born. And that's what he's saying here. Everyone that exhibits the true nature of love is demonstrating that their father is God, that love comes from God. So we can't partake of the divine nature, which is what salvation is all about, and not demonstrate love. Amen? So listen, in describing what first century Christians were, this man is describing it to the Roman emperor Hadrian, this top official. And he says this about him. He says, they notice this about the Christians compared to everybody else in society, in Roman society. And they said they love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those that hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers and sisters in the usual sense, but brothers and sisters instead through the Spirit of God. I'm saying they're noticing. It's not like there's no loving deeds, so to speak, done in Rome. But he's saying these people are totally different. They're totally given, totally unselfish. And Jesus says, that's how you'll know you're my disciples. Because people don't do the things the Christians were doing. Read the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts in chapters 3 and 4. It said, nothing we have is of our own. And that's what distinguished them. That's what drew people to them. So the third thing we want to see here that we're able to love one another is because it flows from knowing God. And that's at the end of verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God. And also it says they know God. And that's how you show that you know God, not just that you know about God. Because the more you know about God and the more like we're studying the Gospels, that should show you about Him and show us how we should live. The kindness, the tenderness, the forgiveness of His nature. And when you start knowing those things, then you'll show that more to others with that knowledge when it comes. Because verse 8 tells us this, look what it says, that he that loveth not, knoweth not God. So people that really don't know the Lord, they really don't know Him, they cannot show love in a proper way. They may even been in the church. So they may be just interested in showing off their spiritual gifts. They may be interested in acquiring a lot of knowledge, say, about end time events. I've seen a lot of that in prison when I go there. They may be interested in showing how great a faith they have. They get excited about the faith message. Oh, yeah, I like that. That's great. Trusting, you know, it, it may be something that they're proud about that. God answers me. May be known for great sacrifices in the kingdom. Pioneers for God. And, and Paul says you can have all of those things. Great faith, super spiritual insights, great sacrifice, and still bust hell wide open. You're like, what? How could that be? That doesn't seem possible. Okay, so turn over to 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. We'll look at that, because that's exactly what he says there. 1 Corinthians 13, we'll read the whole chapter, 13 verses. 
Beginning in verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, he says, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he says, And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and he says, If I don't have love, what does he say? I am nothing. And though, he says, I make the greatest sacrifice of all, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. And I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Verse 4, because love is long-suffering and is kind. Love envies not. Love does not promote itself. It vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. And love rejoices not in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. And love will bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. And he says, love will never fail. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they'll cease. And whether there be knowledge, it'll vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, he says, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then I shall know even also as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, but he says, the greatest of these is love. So that true supernatural love of God is the greatest gift will ever have, will ever receive. And so the others are important. But he's saying if that true supernatural love that comes from the nature of God is lacking, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters of what you do as a Christian. Because he's saying there in verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, he says, I put away childish things. So what are children? They're only interested, really, aren't they, in what their parents can do for them? That's the way it's been with my kids. Maybe your kids are different than that. Maybe your kids volunteered to sweep the garage and do the dishes and all that other. But as they grow up, they start to begin to understand life and their parents and things become different. And they know the character of their parents, don't they? That happens, right? And things change. And they begin to see the sacrifice and giving that the parents did for them. And it changes things. Even in unregenerate kids, kids that aren't believers, they start willing to help out and do things that they weren't before. They start bringing those same characteristics into their lives because of what they know. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, be zealous for spiritual gifts, but not so that you can be Mr. Hotshot and all that. We've talked about that. But you want to do things, all of what you do, you want to do first and foremost out of love for God. And he keeps emphasizing that. God's shown us his love by what he did for you. And so out of thankfulness and gratefulness, we should be wanting and love back to God for all he's done for us to show love to others, to show love to him in all respects. And <laughs> that's the way it should work. So look in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, he says, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, he says, that's great. Seek, though, that you may excel to the building up of the church. That should be the goal. You want to see your brothers and sisters edified and built up and blessed. And that's really the goal of seeing all the gifts here. No competition. No glory to anybody that God happens to anoint. It shouldn't be that way. It probably would be that way because we see so little of it happen. 
But if it happened more, it's like, hey, we're just all here gathered together as one group, as one body, and we want to see the whole body flourish, don't we? That's what he's saying, and that's what love will do. Go back to 1 John 4, please. And so look in verses 10 to 11. It spells out clearly what this love is, why we should love one another. In verses 10 and 11, he said, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So the motivation is what we're saying. The motivation to love, it's never found in ourselves, is it? I want to be a loving person. No, the motivation that the Bible gives is the love of God in the cross. He says, herein is love. And it's not a sentimental experience. It's not something you've earned from the Lord. He's saying God's love doesn't depend on your looks. Thank God for that. Your actions or the worth of others, either what you think you're worth or what somebody else thinks you're worth. I mean, that's how the world loves, isn't it? Love and actions and what do you give me? I like what you give me and I'll give you something back. And as long as that works, they'll stay married. They'll stay in love. But God's love isn't that way. It's not grounded in our love for him. He never cared whether we loved him before he started loving us because we were unlovely creatures. You know, when you read Ezekiel 16, if you ever read that, it says in Ezekiel 16, you want to talk about unlovely. He says, I was riding along and I look and in a field. There you are lying polluted in your own blood, cast out into an open field. And he says, nobody wanted you. Your mother didn't even want you, just left you out there to die. And nobody had any pity on you. And that's what God sees as us as sinners. Nothing lovely about us. Nothing that anybody would want in the world. And they didn't. And he says, that's the way you look. Utterly pitiful, untouchable. That's the way I was. And it says, and yet he loved us. Because Ezekiel 16, he goes on to say this. He goes, now when I passed by you, though, and I looked upon you, I didn't see anything there worth loving, anything there worth stopping and saying, wow, a diamond in the rough. No, all he's seeing is a mess. And that's what he looked at. He says, but when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, he said, behold, thy time, right when I did that, God says, was the time of love. That's what it says. You can read it. Ezekiel 16, 8. That was a time of love. And he said, I covered you up. Cast my mantle over you. And he says, and you became mine. That's the love God gave us. We didn't deserve it. We weren't worthy of it. Nobody else wanted anything to do with us. But there came a time in our life when God sovereignly, from all eternity, he had determined this. It had nothing to do with anything we had done. And he said, I looked on you right then. And I saw you and I passed by. You were polluted, a mess. And I had compassion. And that was the time of your love. <laughs> That's the time of the new birth. We had nothing to do with it. It wasn't even our faith. A dead man can't exercise faith. God, by his Holy Spirit, sovereignly brought us back to life so that we could exercise faith. It all happens at the same time, but he has to give us life before we can do anything else. Think about this. So man said this, when you feel unloved, ponder the cross. If you're looking for a definition, don't look in the dictionary. Look to Calvary. I thought that was good. If you feel unloved, ponder the cross. You're looking for a definition. Don't look in the dictionary. 
look to Calvary. He loved us. Me, we have to say. He loved me and he gave himself for me is what Paul said. And so John says, if God Almighty was willing to humble himself that much to love us, he says, then we should love one another. That's what it says. Look in verse 11. He says, beloved, you're beloved. That means God has shown his love on you. He says, if God has so loved us, there's an ought there. He says, we ought also, verse 11, to love one another. And so it's clearly spelled out in a parable that Jesus gave, that ought. And if you would turn back to Matthew 18, it's not unfamiliar, but it'd be good to read again. Matthew 18, verse 21. And it says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? He thought he was being generous. And Jesus said unto him, Well, I don't say unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And while Peter's catching his breath, he went on to say, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him that owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant, therefore, like us, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have mercy, have patience with me. I'll pay thee all. And then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him all the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, basically nothing, and laid his hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and said the same thing, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. But he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt just because you asked. And shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And Jesus said, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespass. Now, he's kind of using a little bit of a fear in that, but I'm saying in 1 John, he's saying not out of fear, but out of gratitude, out of love, there is an oughtness, right? So he's saying... God has forgiven us. We're back into 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, if he's forgiven us that unbelievable debt we owed him more than we could ever pay, we need to remember that when we deal with our brothers and sisters. Beloved, if God so loved you, you ought to love one another the same way. And so that's a truth that should cause us to pause before we react. Because here's what I said earlier, like I said earlier, we don't love based on our feelings, but based on truth, don't we? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Listen, I went to a funeral two days ago, 
And the minister, he did a great job. I'll tell you, he preached the gospel, and I was impressed with that and found out, well, he, was, he got saved, had a wild life. This minister truly got saved and has never looked back or been the same since. I was impressed with the gospel presentation. I went up and thanked him for that. He's very nice about it, very gentle, but he preached the gospel to that group of people that were there. But one thing he said is the man whose wife died, he spent the last part of his life lovingly taking care of her. And so it's not based on feeling. My dad, he's not a saved man, <laughs> did the same thing for I don't know how many years with my mom, gave up some of the best years of his life sitting by her bed every single day. And most people wouldn't do that. And this minister said, I got somebody in my congregation, an older man that got sick, and his wife just took him and took him to one of the relatives' house and dropped him off. I think I got this right. And said, I didn't sign up for this. Now, like he said, whatever happened to for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. But that's not love. Love is saying, I'll sacrifice. Because look what God has done for me. There's an ought there, isn't there? We should be willing to do that for one another. So we don't wait until we feel like it. That's not biblical, supernatural love, is it? I remember one time, this is way years back when I lived in Ohio, there was somebody at church that had a problem with me. It was a misunderstanding. is nothing I had done. But from their side, they were really struggling with me. And I appreciated this. What I'm getting at is they were having hard feelings toward me. They didn't wait until their feelings got straightened out. They came, and it was hurting them inside. I could see it on their face. And, but they came, and they were nice to me about it all, trying their best to be nice to me. And I'm just thinking, you know, I understand you got an issue with me. But I really respected them and their Christianity. I thought, I see true Christianity here because you can't stand me. I know you can't, but you're making every effort you can to just look beyond your feelings and try to practice what the Bible says. And that's what we have to do. You can't wait until, oh, I feel good when I see this person, so I'm going to demonstrate love. That's not what the Bible says, does it? Nothing in there about feelings. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel real good hanging on the cross when he prayed, Father, forgive them. They're railing on him. How could he have really good, positive feelings towards these people that are mocking and railing? He didn't wait, though, did he? He didn't wait for us to show us love. And that's what we're talking about through all this. If God so loved us when we were his enemies and hated him, and he could have squished us like little bugs. But instead, he showed love and pity on us. And he's saying, hey, we need to have that in our thinking the next time we get cut off in traffic instead of reacting. We need to look at ourselves. Well, how are we? Are we Mr. Spiritual Giant? Were we always the greatest person in the world? Are we still a specimen of true spirituality through and through? And so we're going to cut this person's head off if we could because they just cut us off in traffic. And isn't that what he's talking about? We need to remember that we are always and, and forever will be totally undeserving sinners that are just covered by the cloak of God's mercy and grace. So when someone offends us, we remember they need God's love just like we did. And maybe our reaction is how it'll speak to them. So what I'm saying is, whoever does anything to you, it doesn't matter who they are. We don't have a right to choke them, do we? Isn't that what Jesus said in that parable? We don't have a right to choke them unless you're going to give them a big fat kiss while you're doing it. But not say you're trying to get all their air cut off. So that ought, that's what he's saying there. Verse 11, beloved of God, so love us, we ought. So there is an obligation, but I also think there should be a willingness. We should be willing. We must. I ought in the sense I must love someone because of what God has done for me. 
And that's hard to get that perspective a lot of times, isn't it? It really is. It's hard to get that perspective. So to sum it all up, if you're truly born again, and that's what John is trying to let us know, if you're truly born again, he says everyone that loves is born of God. And hey, we all got to make corrections. We all get convicted. We've all done whatever. But that should be our heart is I want to have the same heart of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father towards other people, especially my brothers and sisters. Because all of us, you know, we all have problems that we're growing and dealing with. And everybody else can see your faults before you ever can. So we need to remember that. And do we just know the Lord or just about the Lord? Because he says, everyone that loves knows God. So if both of those are true, they're born of God and knows God, then we should be growing. It will be a growth for all of us, won't it? So what happens? God puts us in situations where we got to exercise and we get to determine, am I going to show godly love or not? Now, I heard this minister, this man, this man shot his son. He was sitting in a parking lot, just cold blood shot him. He's 20 years old in the prime of his life. And this is somebody that preaches the gospel. The guy's a great preacher. And he's like, you know, I could stand up and man, he can preach. I've heard him many times. Black guy can't preach like him. I wish I could. God says, so are you just going to be somebody that talks about what love and Christianity is? Or are you going to be willing to demonstrate it? And so he writes a letter to that guy saying, I'd like to get together with you. I forgive you. The guy writes him back. He says, I've been getting so much hate mail that I'm not sure. Is, is this really from you? He said, but if it is, I'm glad that you've forgiven me and I accept that and whatever. And this guy has set up meetings with this young man. I'm saying that's when the rubber meets the road, isn't it? murdered your son like that and to have to go and talk to him. I mean, it wasn't like he didn't care about that boy. They were close. But that's what happens. So it's a growth in love and we'll be put in situations where we have to see, are we truly born again? Do we truly have the nature of God in us? That's how we'll know. So our aim in life should be to be a giver, not a taker, to put the needs of others in front of our own and we should strive to forgive to be kind, tender-hearted, and compassionate to those that are in need, and especially our enemies, because that's not always easy. And if God is your Father, then He wants to manifest His nature and His character through us. Why? So people can feed off of us, in a sense, eat our fruit, and we can bring people to the Lord and we can help each other grow by overlooking a lot of our faults that we see in one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, that's the message for today. Praise the Lord. Father, we're so thankful once again for the way you demonstrated your love for us and that you gave your only begotten son that Jesus our Lord came in the flesh to show us what love was in so many respects, but ultimately in that sacrifice on the cross when we didn't in any way deserve your love, but you looked down and had pity on us. And we thank you once again as a church for that and ask, Lord, that you'll keep that in the forefront of our thinking that we can go and demonstrate the same love to each other here and to others outside these walls. And I ask, Lord, that you'll not make this just another message that we heard today, but something that we can think about and ponder today. It's your day that we can think about love and how it needs to be demonstrated in our lives. Or, Lord, if there's people here, all of us maybe, that just need to check and see where our attitudes are at towards others. And, and just pray and ask that by your grace you can help us to show love and demonstrate love and have loving attitudes towards others. And I thank you, Lord, that you'll do that. 
you'll bring our church together here and give us unity to be of one mind, of one accord, and to truly love one another. And I thank you, Lord, that that has been demonstrated here so many times, Father, and that you'll just continue to do that and do that work in us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you stand to your feet.